Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. Back together again. Yay! (laughs) And this week, as ever, we're going to be talking about all the things that have caught your eye and ours in the news this week. Plus, we've got author of Hot Mess, Lucy Vine, joining us for a chat about what it's like to be single in your 30s. And we'll be doing our usual, our badass balls ups and our backdated badass women from history and problems we're solving. So stay tuned for that. But coming up, we always like to start with the things that have really caught our eye this week. The news stories that are just making us a little bit mad. Um, And the first one comes from Google. Now, what is it? So this week, um, there's been a lot of buzz about an internal memo that went out from a former Google employee called James Danmore. And, you know, his opening line was, he opened with, I want to talk about the science of human nature. And he goes on a, I guess, a ramble around the differences between men and women and why functionally women just aren't very good at tech. And he has a pop at um, positive uh, action programs, which target um, people of colour and people with disabilities and all sorts. And he goes on this long ramble. Now... It caused a lot of uproar on Twitter. And I was in a group of people, I think, that did a collective eye roll. Because growing up, this is just how I expect white men to think. I expect them to believe that they are superior. I expect them to believe that doing anything to engage diversity doesn't really mean anything. And I was just a bit like, okay, it's only getting traction because he's come after women more broadly. And the women's lobby, specifically women in tech lobby, you know, are holding him to account. And rightly so. But I was just like, look, welcome to the world. Welcome to the world that I've had to grow up in my whole life. And I got on with the business of being a badass. So it's really interesting you say this because I read this email and usually this email would like have me furious. I'd be writing articles about how angry I was. 
And I just read it and I was like, oh, whatever, mate, jog on. And <laughs> I, I, I was kind of eye rolling about it. And there's a part of me which is actually like, you know what, maybe we're just at the point in history where we are just going to have to keep explaining the same things again and again and again, which is that women are equally good at tech, that it doesn't really matter what race you're from in order to get ahead in the world. You know, all these types of things. And so... I think that we have to keep explaining them. But when we were talking beforehand and I heard you say this and you're like, oh, it's just life. I just expected it. So that really infuriates Mm. me because I don't want anyone, any kid growing up thinking this is just life and these people are going to behave like this and that's just the way it is and so then i was like right sack this guy (laughs) sack all his mates none of them are getting a job ever again emma what did you think yeah i think he should be sacked for lack of empathy i'm seeing this all the time i heard a new discussion on the radio of people who are and it is mainly white men let's face it who are not affected by lots of different things whether that's racism whether that's sexism whether that's a pay gap whatever and absolutely adamant that everything's okay and that from their perspective it should just be this and you know just have their like one angled solution to the problem and then they're completely dismissive of everything else and I'm getting really annoyed by it because I'm like you are the guys that are blocking change and just because you are not affected by that problem you can't deny that problem exists and I'm just seeing this to me is becoming a common thread in what I'm seeing in my world but to bring this back slightly we're still living in a world where slavery is okay mm-hmm. there has been an increase in modern day slavery and let's face it those slaves are women yes. they're young girls and women and if they're they're male then they're usually young boys we're still living in a world where people think it's okay to kidnap women we're still living in a world where people think it's okay to beat the women in the I mean so for a guy who's sitting in an ivory tower such as a Google paying being paid tons of money to say all of this I'm just like but that is exactly the point because you have to start with the people in those places you're not going to get the traction from people who are trading people for money you're not like they don't care their empathy is way down anyway but this is a guy who has a well-paying job in an industry that influences how the majority of the world sees itself Mm -hmm. who has the ability to change how people in a really growing part of humanity see the world around them and how they interact with it and he still has these views But but how do we change there's so many people like him so many how do we change them because it's one thing you know there's lots of noise you you just you can't ignore the the conversations around all the different topics determining gender determining diversity like it's it's a mainstream topic now probably the first time in forever yet he is blatantly ignoring this conversation that's going on so he's not ignoring it he does not care i've said it before he does not care his world does not get better technically if women are sitting next to him if a person of color is sitting on the other side of him his world is perfect when he's sitting around people that look like him that think he is amazing that he can touch his balls and jerk off around <laughs> with i don't know what men do i do know what men do with. you know, you know what i mean his world does not change which is why it's not important to him and what i would say going back to the slavery piece actually the, the guy that's trafficking women across the world thinks exactly the same as this guy from google yeah absolutely they think exactly the same but trying to influence the guy is trafficking is un- you can only really do that through legal methods right mm. the guy at google you can sit down and be like right okay where has this come from why do you think like this can we have a look at the evidence 
can you consider trying some alternatives? And if you can do all that and you still sit where you sit, that's fine. But we don't want you in our world. Well, they've got rid of him and now he's gone off to some right wing. Did he get wing. kidnapped? No. <laughs> no. I'm all he's, up for like He's been recruited <laughs> by, uh, is it Julian Assange or some yeah. right wing platform? So he can spout he's all of this stuff job, as much really. as he wants. He's yeah, he's still, still got a job. job. Yeah, I know. Anyway. See, if you know anyway, what the exactly. Is. It's like whatever, dude. Whatever. Because you've still on. got a job. Jog on. Jog on. <laughs> if you know what the answer is, if you've got some ideas, if actually if you've seen some really great diversity policies, or have any of you ever worked with anyone like this and did they have a kind of road to Damascus conversion? How did that happen? <laughs> How? Because we need to know. So do tell us. Um so the second story this week, which is I think possibly my favourite story, even though it comes from a really kind of sad and dark place but it's just so great so this is about the hashtag i don't know if you've seen it on social media hashtag ain't no cinderella Mm. and this comes from a story in india where a woman was um chased and almost kidnapped by two men while driving home late on a saturday night so it was after midnight and um she was approached and attacked by these people and then the area vice president of the local party said the incident would not have happened if she had not been out so late. Oh, I roll. Because obviously, safety is all about what women not do rather than what yeah. women, rather than it's what men do. It's our responsibility, do. not the men, not it's the totally bad people. It's totally our responsibility to stay so safe, boring. so we should just stay at home and never leave the house. Um, and so to protest this... Indian women have been posting pictures of themselves out after midnight with the hashtag love Ain't it. No Cinderella. Badass. And I just <laughs> totally badass. loved it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It is. It's absolutely reclaiming the streets, reclaiming our right to go out where we want. Because I think so often we say, no, you know, do be sensible. Don't put yourself in dangerous situations. Any situation is dangerous if you are there with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the so reality. Yeah. yeah, And I just... These women standing up and using social media to reclaim that space. It's warm Really my heart. powerful. Yeah. Love it. Love Loved it. it. Yeah. So if you see it, uh, support them. And let, uh, can we all go out after midnight? Do you know what? I I'm going to try really, really hard tonight. I can't guarantee it. Ain't, what can my hashtag be? Almost. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> but, you know, I think the, 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 the important thing here is that women are, because, you know, I'm not a hashtag fan typically, yeah. but the fact that women are saying, look, what this guy it's almost a jog on to whoever the guy is saying jog on mate we can be wherever we want to be at whatever time we want to be there and we're going to publicly protest and we're going to this is where twitter and these sorts of platforms are brilliant we're going to share this with the world because we know it can go viral to show that we we can we we belong it's not not just your place to be on the street at whatever time that you that you want we can be here too and we're going to show you what we're doing in our splendor and I love you know these women were out together they were all, all by themselves just being themselves I loved so loved powerful. that so powerful and social media which gets such a bad rep for how it treats women and the mm. problems women face in it actually this is one occasion where it's it's been great yeah. we've loved you this week Twitter <laughs> uh, and so our final story this week I mean I'm just going to take this one and run with it Emma what is it <laughs> Apparently, ladies, money can't buy you love. So this woman has sued an elite dating agency after a string of disastrous matches. Now, (laughs) we've had lots of discussions about dating (laughs) and about dating agencies. Mm -hmm. And actually, is that the way forward? But for this woman, apparently not. She spent, I can't quite believe she spent this, 150 
thousand dollars. That's one hundred and fifteen grand. I'd be asking for a harem if I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't just want one boyfriend. I want six. Please. Anyway, she just wanted the one, and she got really. She's basically suing this company because she had these really bad dates. So it's things like one guy whisked around the world. And then when they got back from the trip, he got back with his former partner. And I'm a bit like, well, if you're in those early stages of dating, you're not exclusive. Like, yep, I'm with you. And what's stuff your problem? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so I liked another one where she said, um, this, but she said, you put, you put me in touch with somebody and then he turned out to be a stalker and now he's stalking me. And I read that and I was quite horrified by that. I was like, oh my gosh, well, that's... Surely the dating agency had a level of care. And then I realised, no, she's actually a kind of... She's a news broadcaster. She's on TV all the time. She could have met anyone at any point. And unfortunately, this is a bit that comes with the job. They could have turned out to be a stalker. Yeah, that's true. And so she's still blaming this dating agency. But can we... What I am hoping is that maybe somebody rules in her favour and then we all have precedent and (laughs) I can claim back my time from Tinder. It's a good job to be in, right? Setting up a dating agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay me 20 grand. I'll match you with some people. Because you can't guarantee love, really. You can't, but... I do think there is something to, and this is why I love Married at First Sight so much, I do think there's something to someone else doing an assessment of who you are and what you want and going out and actively, like a headhunter, yeah. this is why they work, yeah. uh, finding suitable men or women and presenting them to you and seeing, and but also challenging your assumptions on what sort of relationship you think you want and seeing what happens. And I'm putting it out there now. If I'm still rocking single in the next two years... I would consider, well, no, I would pay someone, I would pay a dating agency to go on that journey for me because I, I don't have time for the apps anymore. But what if they couldn't find someone? Would you then see them? Well, I mean... Well, it's not a no, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely thinking about it. <laughs> so when Matt is signing up for your dating agency, just be warned. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Lucy Vine, author of the number one bestseller, Hot Mess, all about being single, dating, the joy of London single life, <laughs> um, and what it actually means to be a hot mess. So stay with us for that. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we also have author of the number one bestseller hot mess, Lucy Vine. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> I know Lucy said, um, not that we want to brag, but in the break she did say she was a fan. <laughs> I'm a massive fan. That's a way to get on the show. <laughs> Uh, so Lucy, tell us, this is your first book, right? It is. It's pretty scary and exciting, oh, isn't it? exciting. What is it about? Okay, so it's about a girl called Ellie who is single. She's been single for about a year and uh, all her friends and family are very concerned about that fact <laughs> and <laughs> want her to, you know, get back out there. Um, and she ends up doing Tinder because, you know, everyone does. <laughs> yeah. um, and going on some hellish dates. But at the same time, her dad's also kind of going through something similar, trying to, trying to date. So it's kind of about that but I hope it's also quite empowering for single women and you know hopefully a good positive feminist message in in there so it's been called the new Bridget Jones of course (laughs) (laughs) how like Bridget is Ellie is was Bridget the original hot mess 
oh that would be nice wouldn't it yeah I guess she was I mean she was um sort of proud of her own messiness wasn't it and I think um I think we're all kind of uh hot messes in our own way no offense guys (laughs) (laughs) but I think you know most women most human beings are a bit messy aren't they and I think there's been this um push recently away from the idea that women have to be this kind of glossy perfect um present this particular image of themselves and a bit more of an embracing of being messy um in that way so i hope that that's a bit more we were talking about this in the break and we were saying you know there's a there's a spectrum of of hot mess you can be a powerful hot mess and then you can fall into a trope of hot mess yeah um and i think yeah recognizing that there is there's there there's a hot mess that's that's okay (laughs) that's, that's doable and actually um not being ashamed of that but also then not trying to conform into the hot mess stereotype mm. that typically we can get pushed into and you were talking about uh what's so i was talking called? about the guardian blind date column oh yeah do you read that yeah love it love it <laughs> um, and do you read the guy liners take on it yeah occasionally yes it's i do so funny it's so, very funny um anyone if you're listening and you don't read it there's a blogger out there called the guy liner and he writes essentially a kind of mocking of each week's <laughs> guardian blind date column um, but one of the questions they ask in the blind date column is, uh, "What did you? What do you think they thought of you?" So they ask, you know, the people who do it, "What did the other person think of you?" And the women always say things like, "Oh, maybe a bit messy, or maybe a bit klutzy, or a little bit ditzy, but hopefully nice." Mm. And the guy line is always like, "No, ladies, you are clearly the better person yes. in this mm, date. Always <laughs> own it. Yeah. Like, why? Why do you think we yeah. are a bit afraid well, of think, owning it? I think there's a big difference between um, sort of talking about." being messy and then also that kind of old idea of a girl being likeable because mm. she's kind of clumsy yeah. and, and cutesy and like oh trips over yeah. and non-threatening <laughs> all of that yeah non-threatening yeah. Oh. Um, and, and the messy the real kind of messy that, that I think most human beings are yeah. and I think hopefully women are kind of moving away from being like oh no I'm, oh dear I'm, oh, I'm so classy and, and cute um, and, and more into I oh god I didn't get out of bed all weekend because I was watching 12 hours of Netflix yeah. yes I don't know I mean Pretty that's not necessarily weekend. a good thing but it is yeah. my particular brand of mess <laughs> Lucy they talk about your book being um, like the, the next kind of Bridget Jones but how did your character differ because me personally I hated Bridget Jones she, oh. I don't think she did anything mm-hmm. for single women because I think when that came out I might have been in my like early 30s and she was just the epitome of what you did not want to be seen as as a single woman and I think she did a lot of harm for my generation at that time (laughs) so how is the character in the book different like you said that she's a lot more feminist like what would you say are some of like her key some key takeouts from the the book um, well, I mean, I, I want to defend Bridget Jones. Just because, <laughs> I mean, yes, it, in hindsight, I do agree with you totally. But I thought it was so funny. And I think it did sort of allow a bit more like we can be funnier. In mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not yeah. your question. Um, I think, well, Ellie is being kind of pushed into this. There's quite a um, a thread throughout of her being like, guys, I'm happy being single. I like this. I like my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are issues with it and I want to change these certain things. But at the actual being single part, being on my own, isn't 
the problem here. It's everybody else's perception of me in that way and the kind of pity that and I, and I've been single for years myself. Um, and it is that, that constant sort of worry for you. And there are sort of moments in my life where I kind of go, um, oh, God, maybe I, maybe I do need to quickly find a husband <laughs> because everyone else is so worried yeah. and kind of asking me all the time. But actually, when it comes down to it, I'm so happy in my life and I... I want to stay this way. And I think Ellie, and I mean, I don't want to spoil the ending, but but I am going to spoil the ending and say <laughs> that she ends up being single, which is the huge difference, isn't it, mm. with Bridget Jones, yeah. where the ultimate goal was to find a man, and she does find a man, and thank God. Um, it's so funny how society perpetuates mm. that. It is such a success measure, isn't mm. it, for people? And it's a constant quest. I know I get it constantly from my mum, mm. and she's like, yeah. oh, I just want you to, <laughs> to meet be someone happy. lovely. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to meet someone who's not dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> bar. So a random question. What, what part of London is it set in? Oh, um, I don't know. Or really. is it kind of like a, it's just it's London more broadly? I can't remember where she actually lives in her um I won't say the swear. In her work. Okay. But um it's not a very nice place. Fine. Uh, it has a nickname that's got swear word in it. Okay. So I won't do that. <laughs> but um but I think her well her dad lives slightly out of London, so she kind of pops in and out of London. But she's kind of central, I think. Okay. <laughs> so I'm getting I'm, I'm getting a picture of her and I'm like, I'm is she a girl about town? Is she hanging out in Soho? Is she in Shinali? I'll wait to read this book. Yeah. So, yeah. so I I have the anyone you're she's not more, here, but I have like the copy Londis. in my hand. <laughs> she's in London. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a sort of, yeah, that's more her vibe than Fine. So let me see, they say that everyone has a book in them. Everyone's, we've all got kind of books that we've started, we've got ideas, everyone wants to write a book. How did you go from being like, oh, I think I might write a book to actually getting it written, (laughs) getting it published and making it a success of it? Well, I did it in quite a strange way. Oh, good um, story. Yeah. <laughs> well, this time a year ago, I hadn't thought about writing it. Well, I had, obviously. I've been writing as a journalist for 12 years. So I considered it, but the idea of spending all that time sort of outside of already writing all day, mm. um, only to then have it probably rejected by everybody. Um, I ju- I'm not um, able to cope with rejection very well. Um, but so basically, um, last August, um, Katie Seaman, my editor at Orion Books, emailed me out of nowhere um, and said that she'd been kind of following uh, some of my work and, and mentioned a few articles that she'd really liked and I'd written something specifically about being single and how more and more women are actually choosing, yeah. actively choosing to be single um, and this stigma that's still around it. And she said, would I be interested in writing a book with a new sort of feminist single um, hero? Uh, and I said, nah. No, I didn't. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously, I said, yes, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I kind of went away and I wrote her a couple of sample chapters um, and then they gave me a two-book deal, which was absolutely lovely. That's oh, I know. Oh. It's not a sequel oh. um, because I already wrote it before Hot Mess came out. Well, I'd, I'd sort of started it anyway. Um, but we might do a sequel, you know, mm. if this keeps selling well. Um, and so I actually just took two months off my normal work um, and just wrote it like a mad person from home. I did like 10,000 words a week. and Wow. wow. Yeah. So what advice would you have to anyone who wants to be a writer? What, is some, what have you learned about the process? Well, this sounds like a bit of a cliche, but just I think write all the time and read all the time. I've got so many amazing 
sometimes I have to be careful because I, if I read too much of one person I really love, I realise I just try <laughs> start echoing them very yeah. much. But um, I do really, I've been reading um, and writing stories since I was about four or however old, I don't know, kids. What do kids do? How old are they? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, one? I don't know, what, what was it? <laughs> Child prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was two months old. No, um just been doing that all my life and I've always been obsessed with words and excited about it and I'm still I mean like I said I've been in journalism for sort of 12 13 years and I still love it I still get I don't get the Sunday dread Mm. so I'm really lucky but I mean even if you're not working in writing for a living I think it's important to be doing it from home or as much as you can even if it's in a diary and stuff. Do you are you one of those people that has quite a structure are you like I will start writing at nine and even if there is no inspiration Mm. I'm in pain and it's horrible I will keep going till 11 and then I'll have a coffee or whatever. Well I totally thought I would be. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I would definitely find some kind of routine because most writers that they kind of say oh yeah I'm such a night owl I write all night or you know get up at five in the morning and do it Um, and I just those part of the reason why I wrote it so quickly was that I um, was so bad at working from my home. <laughs> I um, I just would sort of lie around all day and like eat my dinner at three in the morning. And sometimes I would write all night. Sometimes I would write all day. And sometimes I would spend whole weeks just watching Netflix and doing absolutely nothing and hating myself. Love it felt it. like having a uni dissertation hanging over me again or Love something it. like that. Yeah. It's very stressful, but absolutely wonderful when it was actually flowing and, and it's so exciting and... and Oh, Always so worth it, obviously. Just, so to clarify, so you had the conversation in September 2016. Yes, what year is it now? Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, so, and then you spent two months sort of writing it and it now it's out on the market. So my point here is mm. that people, anything can happen oh my in God, a year. Yeah, absolutely. Anything can happen in a anything, year. I had no idea I would be here a year ago. It's so weird. And I don't, uh, people might be throwing things now because I'm going to ask you the question I ask a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What do you consider yourself to be? Are you a writer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean... It's the slash thing, isn't it? <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to do that. But I am writer, writer, editor. Yeah, that's essentially what I am. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I just, I like, I like people who are like, this is who I am. Yeah. It's a weird thing that I'm now obsessed with, and I'm sure some people are like, don't ask that question again. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's important. Yeah. I am whatever you want me to be. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you're paying for today, that's what I am. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to keep Lucy with us for a little bit of advice and wisdom in our next section, which is, of course, our badass bulls ups. Your problems mm. that we use are over a hundred years of wisdom, mistakes made lessons not really learnt to try and help you with and as ever if you've got a bulls up that you want some help or advice with do tweet us at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour or find us on instagram facebook all the socials because we love to try and help and we'll be doing that next across the uk online and on dab (laughs) badass women's hour with harriet mincer natalie campbell and emma sexton on talk radio she'll get you talking Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we're also joined by best-selling author Lucy Vine. Hello! Hello! Uh, and she has stayed with us for to answer your questions, your badass balls up, your problems. Um, and we've got some really good ones this week. So we're just going to crack straight on in. Now, what is our first question this week? This comes from Charlotte and she asked this on Twitter. I'm nearly 30, I've got a great job and by all accounts doing pretty well but I have this odd complex where I always feel too young for everything and uh, people consider me to be young or think that I'm young. I am the youngest in my family and in my group of friends um, I'm also the youngest, sometimes I have peers of a similar age. It's the oddest thing and I feel like it's holding me back from doing and saying things in my professional life. I don't personally understand it. What do you suggest to help me get over this? Oh, Ems, what do you think? I think there's clearly something in terms of her family dynamic where she's mm. always been the youngest. Mm-hmm. So I definitely look look at her own self-beliefs. You know, you're kind of brought up with lots of beliefs that you can kind of unpick and change. So I definitely have a look at that, maybe do some coaching or some therapy work around that because you can be what you kind of decide to be really. If you decide that you're always being perceived as the youngest, mm. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. That is what exactly what will happen. <laughs> Where if you decide that you are a mature, which was she nearly 30? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, then you know, there's so I would say there's a lot that she can do to change this, but that that dynamic is probably very ingrained from her, from how she's grown up really yeah. and I think also I don't know about you ladies but I mean something really weird happened to me on my 30th birthday where I went to bed the night before one person and I woke up <laughs> yeah. the next morning I was like <laughs> I do not give a about any of this stuff yes Lucy did you have the same thing yeah oh definitely and also actually I'm sort of feel very similar to to um your listener Charlotte yeah because I'm the youngest of five mm. and wow. yeah and I've always felt like that and also when I go home and visit my family I immediately turn back into a teenager and yeah. they all treat me like I'm the baby still I'm not allowed to unload the dishwasher <laughs> it's ridiculous I'm sort of patted and I'm sent off with the nieces and nephews to play at the kids table kind of thing right, it yeah. is ridiculous and for a long time I did feel that way of being I remember actually going to a job interview and lying about my adding a couple of years and then at the end of the interview she was like oh I just need to get your passport <laughs> <laughs> to photocopy it and I oh my god it was like, more don't look at the date. <laughs> yeah and she kind of came back with a sort of look on her face and then I sort of texted her afterwards and I was like I've just realised and I gave you the I think I said I, I was <laughs> it was the weirdest thing and I don't know why I did it but so I definitely 
Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. There yeah. we go. I mean, it was only a freelance gig, but still. Um, and it wasn't until, yeah, I turned 30 that I started feeling a bit more like I had that ownership over myself and I, I was an adult. How did you get over it? Was it, is it just I haven't got it. I haven't got over anything, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is just kind of learning to sort of recognise how good you are. And, and even if it's, I mean, it's a bit cheesy, telling yourself over and over... Oh that you are great and you are experienced and people see you as experienced in her office. I bet they do. Maybe if they don't in her family, mm. they do in the office. And it's you just have to kind of drill that into your own head that you are good and you're worth it. And I think that's the other thing about finding different people to be around, actually. Because if you're around people the whole time where you have behaved as the youngest mm. and then they are now seeing you as the youngest maybe decide what you being the oldest would feel like and go find some people to practice that on yeah. and see what their reaction is. I wonder if she's also been in that office since she was junior because I remember yeah, good point. first job of three yeah. years because I yeah. started at the very bottom even when I was sort of staff writer, senior writer people still treated me like I was the same. 19, 20. So I'm going to go with embody the person <laughs> you want to be. And I think what you should actually do, Charlotte, is just download a photo of Rihanna at Carnival <laughs> this, uh, oh, this yes. last few weeks and just become her. Yeah. Just say, this is who I am today. And just just bring that to the office in every situation you're in. Just be like, I am Rihanna with multicolours coming out of my head and I am badass oh, because that is who we should all be. Yes, I want to be Beyonce. Can I be okay, Beyonce? You can be Beyonce. You can be Beyonce. I'll take either. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. fine. Maybe not the office, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, what is uh, what what have you got for us this week? Uh, so this one came in via email from our listener Louise. She said, "I've worked very hard, and I can see I've achieved so much in my career. But I feel like society is always telling me to be more and more ambitious. But I actually feel like it might be time for me to take a break and work on myself as a human being. Do you think it would hurt my CV if I took a gap year while my career is in full swing?" Oh, well, for a start, a can I just say, I applaud anyone saying, do you know what, I need to take some time out and yeah. work on myself because we get stuck into a rut of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it, and we don't give you that time. Mm. I would really like to tell you that doing that will make you highly employable and everyone will <laughs> applaud you for it. Probably not. <laughs> um, I think the reality is that somebody is going to look at that and go, oh, we've taken you out, a bit flaky, but that's fine. Don't work for them. Work for somebody else. That's I what I say. Think. Are people still thinking that these days? I feel like these days people have such diverse careers now mm -hmm. and yeah. such diverse life journeys. Is there not more acceptance in the job market of that or is it that you have to be at a certain level where you think that's accepted? Like Lucy, you're like freelance central. Do you yeah. find like because that does mean you move from jobs to job mm. to job, do people judge it for that or are they, is it when you took two months off to write a book was that okay or did somebody yeah. look at your CV and go where have you been well I guess it's partly because it's sort of linked to my industry but it was fine yeah um I mean it does depend a bit on what the industry she's in doesn't it with, with gaps on your CV but I think increasingly people I mean I'm nearly 33 and, and almost all of my friends have done that at some point I know most people have kind of gone off and I think it's pretty understandable now mm. But um, the ambitious thing is, is tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it is tricky. There's um, some research out this week that actually says it's better for organisations when employees take sabbaticals. Yeah. Um, so they come back refreshed, they come back really motivated, they're really loyal. Uh, so actually it's a really good thing. And obviously I've just realised the way to get around this is to not go for a year. It's to go for 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> and then on your CV, don't put months, just years. Yes. And then you're fine. Yeah. Now, what would you think? Think, what would Rihanna do? 
go to carnival. And they're, exactly. <laughs> Rihanna would go to carnival uh, and wear multicolours. Um, no, I, I think this is partly a flaw of the workplace in that they don't value sabbaticals and people going off and doing the things that make them happy, which means when they come back, they're adding so much more value. Um, I would also think about the, your career and you know what do you ultimately want? Do you want a job that enables you to be the person that you feel you are and maybe going away gives you time to retrain and you can do so many courses on online nowadays that means in addition to being away you could also get a new skill in that year or you can learn a new language or you could you know set up a project while you're away or you can just hang out on the beach and do nothing it's completely up to you but think about what you want to do next and allow that to make your decision versus thinking about where you are right now great advice thank you uh so our final problem this week uh comes from karen on instagram and she says, hello, badasses, which makes me love her already. Uh, I'm 26, have a job I'm sort of into, but not quite my dream job. No partner, no pension fund, no mortgage, I wish. And sometimes I end up eating ramen noodles the day for a few days before it's payday again. Don't we all? <laughs> I know I need to get my life together, but how do I start? Seeing my friends getting engaged, having babies or getting promotions at work really isn't helping. I feel like I'm not together. Help. Lucy. I wow. mean, this like is kind hot of mess, hot mess thing. <laughs> But who's together now? Yeah, yeah and what exactly. is together? Exactly. It's I'm like, going to take on different meanings now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Happily ever after doesn't have to mean husband and, and t- children anymore. Yeah. Do you think social media is a problem here? Because she says, you know, I'm mm. seeing everyone getting engaged yeah. and getting promotions. Do we just get like. It just piles on the pressure again, doesn't it? But I mean, it, we've said it a million times, but like nobody's life is actually that <laughs> yeah. yeah it's there's mess behind the scenes and and i just she doesn't sound that unhappy like i don't know no. if it's just the pressure yeah. she feels from seeing everybody else doing these things but ramen noodles sounds brilliant yeah. <laughs> yeah. and she's saying i need to get my life together but how do i start i mean a good place to start is to go actually what what does your life look like because yeah. even though you're saying that all you, these people are getting engaged having babies getting promotions that might not be you might not want any of those things. Yeah, so okay. you, how can you get your life together if you don't really know where you want it to go in the first place? So sounds like she needs some direction more mm. than anything and something to like, you know, yeah. that she's working towards. Yeah. And also I think appreciating what you have in your life, like mm-hmm. what's good that you really love, what works for you. Mm-hmm. Now you are a kind of, you're an on it person. You're a goal. You've got, you've got space you're going. Places to be. When you're in that uh, hot mess place, yeah. though, how do you get out of it? What, what do you mean? Um, hot, uh, 10 o'clock every it. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's embracing it. Um, and being honest, you know, most days I, I spend in what, my, my powerful hot mess space. Um, but having a purpose and knowing why you do things is the most important thing. And actually the... The career bit is is the secondary, but I 110% know what makes me happy and I know what I love doing. And I know that if I see something wrong or something that needs to be fixed, I will just go off and do it. And I don't really care about you know what people say I can and cannot do. So I would say she needs to go back to the, what, what would make you get out of bed in the morning? What would give you some fight and some, some fire? Mm. Don't think about it as a job, just you know anything because you can volunteer into that you can you know create your own thing you you know or you can travel and experience it I, I don't know but start with that and then build everything else out but also she's 26 she's I, got I hear time this, yeah in, mm. there's so many I've had so many conversations with young women who are in their 20s who just feel this enormous pressure to have their whole life sorted at 26 and I'm like 
mate, I'm 40. <laughs> still not there. Like, take the pressure off yourself, yeah. you know. And I just feel like your 20s should be, that's about experimenting. Mm. That's for, you know, dating the wrong people, making <laughs> the bad decisions. Like, that's your training ground for yeah. life. So I'd be like, you don't want to be sorted at 26 because the decisions I was making at 26 are definitely not the decisions I'd be making now. We were channeling yeah. you. We spoke at Marguerite um, event on Saturday. Okay. Was, you, you weren't there. Um, so we were channeling you and I said that uh, Em's advice is just to chill out mm-hmm. and that is one of the most important things you can do just chill out yeah, yeah. But i'm gonna add you chill out but figure out what why yeah, you get out yeah. of bed in the morning so if you don't know why you're functionally getting out of bed then it's likely you won't get out of bed you need something that's going to give you a, you a, need a spring purpose, in your step for yeah. sure and i think sometimes when we think about that we also we think it has to be something really big or worthy mm. and i remember somebody once asking me this is like I actually still feel a bit ashamed. I've kind of got over it, but I still feel a little bit ashamed about this. Somebody asked me, like, what do you get out of bed for? What really motivates you? And I was like, applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a slow clap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. exactly. A vigorous clap. A really, really big clap, please. Um, and like, much as I would love to have somebody literally standing at the bottom of my bed applauding me for getting out of it every day. But there is something about knowing that and being like, actually, that yeah. is a part of who I am. Yeah. Let's like bring that in and yeah. find the places you get to go and do it, and then you get a whole career out of it. <laughs> People pay you to do it. It's awesome. <laughs> so we need to say a very big thank you to Lucy Vine for joining us today. Thank you so Ooh, much, Lucy. Thanks, Lucy. Hot mess out now. Yes, it is. Thank buy you very it anywhere, much. everywhere, all yeah. the stores. Yeah. Yes, do buy multiple copies in every store. Yes. <laughs> every store. It is really good. We loved it. Thank you thank so you. much for joining us. Uh, coming up, we are looking at our backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And this one is just a heroine, a heroine who has saved multiple women's lives. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minton, I'm joined by my co-host Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell and it's that time of the show where we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you really need to know about. And this week's has just changed the lives of women suffering from breast cancer for really the last kind of 40 odd years. Um, We have Claire Pulford on the line, Head of Events at Breast Cancer Care. Claire, thanks for joining us today. Oh, hi. No worries. Very, very happy to be with you. (laughs) And tell us, who are you talking about today? So it is Badass Betty, um, (laughs) Betty Westgate, the founder of Breast Cancer Care. um, And that's who I, well, my inspirational woman who I want to talk to you about today. Fantastic. And tell us a little bit about her. Well, Betty, in my opinion, is really a pioneer of her time. And I think and a really inspirational woman who helped break down the barriers with her openness about her own breast cancer diagnosis. She really has changed the face of the way that we talk about breast cancer in the UK. Um, Back in 1968, when Betty was diagnosed, um, breast cancer was really taboo. People didn't talk about, um, well, breasts and let breast cancer. It was still very much the C word behind closed doors. And when Betty was diagnosed herself, she got told by a doctor that um, she'd got breast cancer and we're taking it off. I mean, that was literally how they talked about oh the me then. I know. And she went in, she spoke to her doctor and she asked for some more information about what the procedure was. He looked at her, raised his eyebrows, turned on his heel and walked out of the room. 
And I think, you know, that was, for the breast, is so disappointing. There was a total lack of information support towards breast cancer patients. And she really took that into her own hands. Um, she was a biology teacher. She was incredibly passionate about education. And it was, and this, her, this, you know, and her experience really sort of led her to um, want to set up um, the Mastectomy Association. Um, she started giving talks about lumps and bumps and um, spreading awareness about breast cancer. And she realised that there was just real lack of non-medical support and information out there. Um, so she set up the Mastectomy Association in 1974, um, which has since become Breast Cancer Care. And she ran this from her back room in Croydon. I um, love that. I love that she yeah. said she literally had like a telephone support line just did, on the phone yeah. from her home. She did. She set up a telephone support line, which really was the sort of forerunner of what's now Breast Cancer Care's free phone helpline. Um, and she started writing leaflets that... Um, she'd send out to the nurses within the hospitals that were put into patients' shoes. Um, and, I mean, that today at Breast Cancer Care, we have a whole range of services people affected by breast cancer, but we send out over a million publications a year. And that was wow. where it all started with Betty back in her room in Croydon. Um, and I think she just really understood the need for that sort of care and support that wasn't there. You know, 1960s, 1970s, um, the medical support was very different. Every woman who was diagnosed with cancer back there was automatically given an mastectomy. Um, the range of treatments were much fewer. Um, and it was just, it, you know, it was, it was clinical, but there wasn't the sort of personal support that people needed. We know a diagnosis of breast cancer affects women in so many ways. And it's, you know, that she really understood that. And, um, you know, starting that helpline and then she started going out and speaking to people. And um, she, she actually, uh, the local newspaper ran an article on her and it was the Daily Telegraph that picked it up. Um, and she started getting about... 200 letters a week delivered. She said the local wow. postman started turning up with those sacks. And it was women all over the country who were both looking for support themselves and also offering support and volunteering. You know, they'd been through breast cancer and they wanted to offer their support to other women. And that was also the start of sort of the peer support service that we have at Breast Cancer Care now. So she really changed the face of non-medical care for everyone affected by breast cancer in the UK. And it was sort of her pioneering work and forward thinking and determination um, that meant, you know, breast cancer care is there to help improve the quality of millions of women's lives at a time when they need it most. So. Um, one of the things that I was really um, struck by was just her openness mm. about it. Yeah. So there's mm. um, this thing I was doing where she her grandson Bruce remembers, um, remembers her actually showing him her mastectomy scar when he was a child. And then yeah. actually that level of openness we think of as quite a modern thing. We think of, you know, women sort of posting their photos on Instagram or talking about that. And we still see it as this huge act of bravery. Mm. But she was there just trying to normalise it and make it normal and say this is part of life. Yeah. Oh, completely. And, you know, as I said, it was really taboo. People didn't do that. And... I think Betty, I mean, as Bruce said, I mean, it's phenomenal and quite, you know, I think he felt quite amazed by his sort of grandmother um, opening up like that. Um, but Betty did that in numerous ways. I mean, I, you know, she went into the local hospitals and the surgeons would ask her to speak to patients and show them her scar. And that wasn't normal in those days. And I think, you know, opening up that conversation and helping people to understand um, like you say, what it was to have breast cancer, but what the side effects were and what it looked like and what it was to live 
with, through and beyond breast cancer was something Betty was, you know, really passionate about. But she was definitely, definitely in the minority back then in doing that. I love that that in addition to also doing all of this work, and and this must have been all consuming full time, she decided that she'd learn to fly in a flying circus and become a wing walker. So, you know, in terms of living life and being badass, that just says it all, really. Oh, God, completely. I mean, I think she was she was such a determined person. I mean, there's no doubt Betty was strong willed. You don't set up an organisation from your back room in Croydon and take it to, you know, a UK wide organisation without being a bit badass. Yeah, but exactly. um, that wing walking stuff, I mean, I, I read about that and I was like, brilliant, that's fantastic. Apparently, when she was about 70 years old, um, she wanted to go hang gliding and she was told <laughs> she was too old to do it. And she was a bit indignant about that, apparently. She didn't think that, you know, why could she hang glide at 70? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I agree. I agree. Well, I think she sounds like an amazing backdated badass and a woman who has really changed how we talk about and experience cancer in the UK. So thank you so much for sharing her with us, Claire. We really appreciate no, it. My, my, my pleasure. I think she's done a phenomenal um, job and, you know, the breast cancer care continues to be there to sort of support the everybody that's affected by breast cancer. Um, and, you work. know, there's... Yeah, it really, yeah, it really is. She was a phenomenal woman. So. <laughs> she really was. Well, thank you yeah. so much for sharing her. We've loved hearing about her. That's Betty Westgate, who is the founder of Breast Cancer Care, um, changing really women's experience of that horrendous disease completely and opening it up and letting us talk about it. A total backdated badass, I think. Um, as ever, if you want to uh, talk to us about a backdated badass, um, if there's somebody that you think should be featured, you can tweet us at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour. And also just on this as well, um, in case you didn't know, this year is the 25th anniversary of the Pink Ribbon, uh, which is a symbol of hope, strength and unity and a poignant way to kind of remember Betty and those who have suffered from breast cancer. So if you are interested... Um, you will find that Breast Cancer Care is currently celebrating that anniversary by asking survivors to share their story um, with the hashtag PinkRibbon25 and it's just a really beautiful hashtag to follow. We recommend it. Uh, So we're nearly at the end of our show but as ever we like to leave you with a little something to think about in the coming week. Uh, A little something to live your life by. Our badass principle in fact. Nat, what is the principle this week? (laughs) The badass principle this week is go first. And I'm laughing because like I don't know, I don't I thought it was going to be jog on on, to be honest. (laughs) So go first is a story about us really. So there are lots of things that we're plotting. Um, We've been plotting books and television shows and all sorts of stuff you know getting brands to back us and it's it's slow work and we got a a conversation going about a book and functionally I think it got to the point where we realized it was a no and instead of you know going around the houses and redoing a proposal and spending lots of time trying to get a yes we went first and we said maybe this isn't right for you so you know what we're going to do it ourselves And I think there's something in that instead of holding on to something when you think, actually, you know, everything says to me that this is probably not going to work for them. We're just we're just going to go first. We're going to go first and make it easy for you. And as soon as we sent the message saying this isn't for this isn't going to work in this time, we want to work with you. They came back straight away and said, you know what, you're right. And it was probably that they didn't want to say no to us. So I think there's something in that. Nice. Emma, what's go first for you? I'm right with Nat. There's something about taking ownership. I'm a firm believer in 
kind of black and white. I don't think there should be a grey area. It's either, and there's a great article by Mark uh, Manson, who he divides a lot of people. He's got a a great article, which is, it's either an F yes or an F no, (laughs) basically. And I stand by that. And I just think sometimes if somebody's hesitant and they're not giving you a firm yes, Mm. and people are very tentative about giving you a firm no, you need to take control and make your own decision. Like, don't get stuck in a grey area. And I've had that before with relationships. And I've had to go, you know what, mate, if you're not giving me a firm F yes, then this is not right for you, you know. So jog on. (laughs) Jog on. (laughs) Basically, if you're in a relationship with Emma and you're not giving her a firm F, no. (laughs) That is true also. (laughs) So I think for me, go first is... It's also about not being afraid to do the things that other people aren't doing. So we talked Mm -hmm. about it a lot today with Lucy and her book and this idea that we have to be behaving in certain ways and you see people doing stuff and you think, maybe I should be doing that too. And actually, sometimes it's okay to be like, no, nobody's doing this, but I am going to go first and do it. So Mm -hmm. if you're the first of your friends to say, actually, I'm taking a year out and I'm going to go travel the world... Or I had a lot of friends who, when I hit that age where everyone started to get married, the first few of them were really hesitant about it. They felt really unsure. No, go first. It's okay. Somebody has to. Somebody has to be the first one. It might as well be you. So do it. Learn from it and share the experience. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, As ever, we will be back here again next week. But if you want to talk to us in the meantime, do you know what you should do? You should come find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can talk to us personally. You can find me at Harriet Minter, Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. And Emma. At Emma Sexton. Uh, Or you can find our podcast if you missed a bit and you want to hear more. That's on iTunes now. Download it. Um, And we'll be here again on Talk Radio next week with a whole load of badass. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.